Okay. How are we gonna? Well, wait. How are we gonna know who won? <laughs> I don't know. Nobody, nobody wins in this. Yeah, gotta, <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone wins this draft. Good morning, and welcome to episode 281 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller, and today for our last show of the week, we are joined by Harry Pavlidis, uh, who is the the new director of technology of Baseball Prospectus. Congratulations on on becoming that. Well, thank you, and hello. <laughs> what what does that entail exactly? Tell tell us and also the people listening what what that um, job description is. What that d- the job description is. Uh, Depends on the day and the time of the day. Uh-huh. I really think the job is about ensuring good user experience. Uh-huh. You know, basically, we, we deliver all our products virtually through technology. You know, sometimes there's actual printed books or our, our humans show up in places and, and talk to people. Try to avoid human contact. Well, you yeah. know, it happens. It's inevitable. It's part of the job. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's technology that supports those things. Primarily our, our end user, our subscribers, our readers, your listeners. Mm-hmm. Also you guys, particularly yeah. Ben, <laughs> because you guys are the editorial side and that, that that's a user community that I have to take care of as well. So I've really been doing a lot of stuff already for the past couple months, mm-hmm. but now it's just the, the role is becoming more, more of my time mm-hmm. and broader responsibilities. So... There's going to be some changes with our website in the future mm-hmm. that I'll, I think we'll all be looking forward to. Well, uh, we are happy to have you, and you're gonna you're gonna get sick of emails from me if you are not already. I was gonna say I'm I have a look. frequent emailer of of tech requests and other requests. So yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're gonna do two things today. The second thing we're gonna do is talk to Harry about his manual classifications of pitch effects and pitch types, uh, which is something I am fascinated by. But first, we're going to do a draft. And it's, <laughs> it's going to be a short draft, I guess. Uh, and it comes, it comes from a suggestion from Zachary from Connecticut, who is both a, a BP reader and a podcast listener. And he initially asked me this question in a chat at BP last week, and I... I said that it would probably work as a, a draft, so we're going to try it. The question is, if you had to build a rotation of pitchers who don't average 90 miles per hour with their fastball, who are you taking? So we're going to each draft a, a full rotation, five starters, of guys whose average fastball velocity is under 90 miles per hour, and the winner is going to be uh, the, the guy whose rotation gets the most warp the most wins above replacement player over the next 365 days um so someone out there hopefully will will keep track of this and report back next next uh next september 6th um does does anybody remember about um i don't know maybe six years ago or so posnanski wrote a thing on the posnanski blog about how the royals basically anything the royals ever did that made sense was dumb because the Royals had such a losing hand that they should only be doing <laughs> things that seemed outlandish on the off chance that they they work. Mm-hmm. And one of his ideas was that they 
they basically commit to having a rotation that's only guys who throw in the like mid to low 80s, like guys who don't even get signed because they only throw 83. Because who knows? Like maybe that's a like like you never know what the next crazy overlooked commodity is, and mm-hmm. and maybe it'll be that. And I've always thought I, I think about that. Uh, that Poznanski column more than I think about almost any Poznanski column, especially when I hear people criticize teams that like suck already and they do something that makes them suck still and people are like ripping them and it's like, yeah, but pretty much anything they did was going to make them suck, you know, continually. Uh-huh. Like, you you know, when you're dealt a losing hand, there's not a lot of ways to play it. And so, uh, you know, I don't know, pulling out a, a knife and like, I don't know, it's like stabbing the guy next to you doesn't seem like it makes sense, but it's, it's as good as any other idea. So, uh, so that's when, when this question got asked, that was the first thing I, I thought about. Yeah. Isn't that what they call a high variance strategy? You know, do something yeah. yeah. So there's, there's a buzzword for that. Well, yeah, we're, we're definitely all going to be dealt a losing hand when, with, out of this deck. Cause this, uh, there are actually, there are fewer of these guys than I probably would have expected, um, <laughs> to, to come up with the pool of draftees here. We went to the, the pitch FX leaderboards at baseball prospectus which are based on harry's classifications uh and there are only there are 41 guys this season who have thrown at least 200 four seamers in starts oh oh yeah right right i lowered it to 100 because the it was so small yeah uh so 100 which is just you know a few starts um and have an average velo of 90 or below so we're gonna draft almost half of the the potential people that we could draft and and it's going to get ugly towards the end Nick. there's a there's a real chance towards the end of the first round <laughs> there's a real chance that, that... The, end of the first round's going to get dicey Someone, is might... it really is it that bad it doesn't feel that bad it feels to me like you're going to like that we'll all almost have league average rotations it feels to me so but maybe i'm someone might draft, maybe i'm wrong someone might draft bruce chen here in a minute well, why wouldn't you draft Bruce Chen? He's kind of uh, good. We should, we should just start drafting. <laughs> okay. I'm drafting Bruce Chen. <laughs> all right. So we so Harry did a, a random draft order. I I ended up with the, the first pick. Um, so with my first pick, I will take Doug Fister. Yes, of course. Mm. Really? That's an of course? <laughs> there were only really That's... two choices, I feel like. I, don't I feel like two, but I, I thought that maybe I the other two. I have two two choices at this pick, but I'm gonna go yeah. with uh, I'm gonna go Jared Weaver. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. would have gone with I would have personally gone with with Jared Weaver or 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 Bruce Chen. <laughs> so that's your first uh, pick then, Bruce Chen. No, I'll uh, I'll take uh, I'll take uh, R. A. Dickey. Okay. The first pick. Okay. Uh, yeah, those were those were my top three. Um, all right, so with my second pick, uh, because we are trying to, to accumulate innings here, I am going to go with Mark Burley, uh, who never misses a start. You're not trying to accumulate innings. Well, a good innings. Uh-huh. And yeah. his, his innings are pretty good. So I'll take Mark Burley. Sure. I'm very happy to take, with the fifth pick, Travis Wood. Hmm. That would have been my... Probably my fifth pick too, uh, but I, I don't know. I uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems fair. I'll take. I have no idea what I'm doing. As as everybody knows, I'm looking at this list for the first time uh, right now. So I'll take uh, Bronson Arroyo because it's at the top of my list alphabetically. <laughs> uh, That's a good pick. 
yeah, Bronson Roy is kind of a decent pick in this. Even I was, though I, I, when you said the innings thing, when you started to say the innings, I thought for sure you were going to get Arroyo. Uh huh. I I sort me. I sorted this pool of forty-one pitchers by whiff rate, uh, and he was at the very bottom. His his whiff per swing is four point three percent. Which correct me if I, I mean that means that he gets a whiff every twenty-five pitches. But that's, that's, every that's fast. Things. But that's on the fastball. Okay. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I remember who's got the other stuff. Well, so Dickey, that's why Dickey's a good pick because he's not about the fastball, so he's kind of snuck in here. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. What's interesting is I I also tried uh, rather than look at all forty one names, I tried to just sort and figure out what the key was, and I I was surprised because yeah, the whiff per swing rate doesn't really turn up any kind of method no. to it. It seems uh-huh. to me. I mean, I'm looking like you know a lot of the high whiff rates are guys we're not going to get to. And I thought velocity, I thought, well, if, if the whole point of this is that velocity is better and, you know, these guys all suck because they throw under 90, well, the 89's got to be better than the 88's and the 88's got to be better than the 87's. But that's not really at all the case. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that there's not really a clear re, a, a clear column to sort. Uh, okay, I'm not thrilled about any of the picks from here on out, but I'm going to take Dan Heron. I have him 10th. He's kind of been good second half. Uh-huh. So, sure. Okay. That's... It's a scary group of people. Here. <laughs> I could. Uh, I barely got to 15 pitchers on my list before I, I, I... Beyond a certain point, there's just no one I can name and feel good about myself. I'll take Dylan G. Yeah. Yeah, I had... Uh, Dylan G was uh, number eight. He was also eight on my list. I'll take. Um, I, I feel like I, I'll take AJ Griffin. Mm, that was my next one. Um, <clears throat> okay, I man. Uh, all right, I'm gonna take. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna just take a risk here. Uh, who is the sadist who gave you guys this question? <laughs> Why did I agree to participate? Zachary in uh, Connecticut caused this. Connecticut. Um, okay, this could be a massive mistake. This could cost me the whole competition. I'm gonna take Jaime Garcia. Oh wow! It's, I didn't bother to. I didn't rank him. I left him off. It's a risk. Oh, really? Yeah, I was really thinking about it. It's him. a risk. He's 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 throwing. He's He's back on the mound, I think, on a mound. He's fragile. He is very, yes, but he's pure talent level. He, he'd probably be in the top five here, certainly. Uh, yeah, probably, probably fourth. Yeah. So, and I'm going to hope for good health yeah. for uh, John Danks. Mm. Wow. I did not have him ranked. I had him, uh, he was 16th for me. He was the second to last player I bothered to rank. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll take Jason Vargas. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's the uh, last round. Uh, okay. Am I picking already? Um, yeah. Your last pick. So this is this is. Uh, okay. I guess I'll go with Marco Estrada. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> this is. Evil. <laughs> uh, that guy might not come back. You know, this is difficult. Yeah. 
Um, There's another tantalizing injury guy. There's a tantalizing possible retirement guy. I'm going to go with kind of a crazy I'm going to take Tyler Skaggs. Oh! Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna take Tyler Skaggs. Tyler Skaggs really, yeah, he really sticks out on this list because Mm -hmm. he's the only guy who you see his name and you think, oh, he's on here. That's that's surprising. Yeah, I did not realize that he threw quite that slowly. Yeah, Yeah, strange thing this year with him. I I didn't expect him to be. I, I I knew he was slow, but I was surprised to see him here. I figured he might, you know, he might get better. I don't know if he'll get faster, Mm -hmm. but. I had him uh, 7th on my list, and I would have taken him, except I thought that he would last to me with the last pick. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of a Is this? Do I have the last pick? This is it. Yeah, you have the honor of picking. The, the uh, honorary Bruce Chen, the Bruce <laughs> Chen slot. I'm actually, I'm not going to take Bruce uh. Chen. Uh, and I only partly because I don't, if I did more research, I, I would probably know that the guy I'm going to pick uh, is like, you know, out for the next nine months or something. But uh, uh, I'm going to take uh, Wandy Rodriguez. That's, that's who I was about to say. I was going to guess it's who you were taking. He has. Um, I, I don't know if he's healthy. He has. He has his he has, recent visit with, recent elbow visit with Dr. James. Elbow arthritis. <laughs> yes. He, he saw Dr. Andrews, and it was, quote, good news. Yeah. So if I've got this right, Ben uh-huh. has Fister, uh-huh. Burley. Yes. Heron. Yep. Jaime Garcia, mm-hmm. and Marco Estrada. That's right. I got Weaver, Travis Wood, Dylan G, John Danks, and Ricky Skaggs. Not 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 Tyler. <laughs> I was trying to add a little bit of bluegrass into my. <laughs> Sam, Sam, <laughs> Sam took Dickey, Arroyo, Griffin, Vargas, and Wandy. All right. So I'll just quickly go through the the names that we didn't pick, so that yeah. people can 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 know. Okay, so the names that did not get drafted are Andy Pettit, mm-hmm. Paul Mahalam, Bruce Chen, Tom Malone. Oh. Well, Holm was uh, well, an interesting one I thought might be pickable. Pettit is too, I'm not sure what he's going to do. Yeah, yeah, not sure he'd play. Yeah. Chen, uh, I thought, I, would get picked in this. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love Malone, but only for what he is. Um, Carlos Villanueva, was, yes. uh, I bothered to rank him. He was I my, did bother to rank him. My 16th or 17th guy. Yeah, he was my 17th. And then uh, Freddie Garcia, Dylan Axelrod, Christopher Rusin, Brett Myers, uh, John Garland, Jose Alvarez, Ted Lilly, Wade LeBlanc, Kevin Slowey, Hiram Borges, Burgos, Burgos, Michael Fires, Andrew Albers, Scott Diamond, Pedro Hernandez, Vidal Nuno, Sean Markham, Tyler Cloyd, John Lannon, Eric Stoltz, Yusmero Petit, and Barry Zito. It's almost like throwing hard is is uh, beneficial. Seems like that's the conclusion that I would reach. Are these? Do you? Uh, is this, this is an interesting list too because uh, with a couple of exceptions, it's it's mostly it's almost all guys who basically always threw soft. You don't. I, I I expected to see guys like a lot more guys like Freddie Garcia, who are just old now, used to throw fairly hard. You know, Brett Myers is one of those guys. But it's not. I mean, it's it's guys like you know Lily and Zito, who even when they were good, were living in in the high eighties, mm-hmm. uh, basically. Heron threw hard at one. Heron time. did. Yeah, Heron did throw hard. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but you're right. For the most part, it's it's guys who are just have always had to live at this level. <laughs> All right. So there you go, Zachary. Uh, someone someone keep track, and and we'll see if we'll see if anyone. 
breaks. Uh, I don't even know what what a rotation of these guys would would be expected to accrue over a 365 day period. I, I think that the I think it'd be a, a nice achievement if one of us had a, a cumulative ERA plus of a hundred or better. Okay. Well, we'll I, I think it's. I'll put, put these into our. I'll put these into my baseball perspectives team tracker. <laughs> uh-huh. I will be watching every day. The next 365, how, how this competition proceeds. Even over the winter. Even over the winter, just in case. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, the other thing that we had you on to do was ask you questions about uh, your manual pitch tagging. So you are, in a sense, I guess you are probably the only person who has seen every pitch it thrown in the pitch FX era, not not in video, but in in a plot of some sort or a spreadsheet of some sort. You have you have seen and classified every pitch that has been thrown since what the end of two thousand six. Well, yeah, but it's just every pitch that's been tracked. Right. Okay. Full tracking since oh eight. So plus minor league data for, uh, for behind the scenes stuff. Uh-huh. So it's something like. I didn't add it up. I should have, but it, I don't know. I'm probably close to six million pitches now. <laughs> so yeah, so that's it's a it's a Herculean task or a Sisyphean task or something. Dang, that's more like that, something yeah. that a Greek a Greek guy would do. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, so man, go on <laughs> So so the first question, I guess, for for people who might not know, is why do you do this? It's um, why did I start doing it is one question. Why did I continue doing it is the second. And the third is why do I still do it? So the reason I started doing it was because it didn't exist. You had to classify pitches yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't start publishing them through the BAM feeds since 2008. So, the, you know, in 07, you had to do, you had to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. So that was just, you know, step one. Step two was just um, there's a mountain over there and I'm going to climb it. <laughs> There was no real rational reason, you know. I, I had time, or made time, um, so I just kept going. And then after a while, it became a realization that there was enough quality in it that people found it very useful. Mm-hmm. And that's at the point where I said, "Okay, I'm going to keep doing this." Mm-hmm. And so here I am. And what what would you say the state of the the automatic classifications are at this point? They keep getting better, I think. I mean, they're pretty good, but they're. they're I I mean, I use the term agreement. I mean, I can't really say who's right, mm-hmm. but you know, depending on how you group, they're different. They they'll put a lot of different classifications around fastballs and stuff, which is cool, but sometimes that makes things a little more complicated for counting. So between eighty to eighty-six percent agreement on their between what they put out mm-hmm. in real time with mine, but that's only if you kind of. Do some benefit of the doubt grouping, mm-hmm. so it could actually be. You'll get more pitch pitch types per pitcher. I'll have I'll have a more constrained set of pitch types per each pitcher, mm-hmm. so it's so you can group, not to regroup things or anyway. So can you describe the the process that you that you take? I I know a little bit about it, and I saw your your presentation at the Saber seminar and. I, yeah, I guess just just from from the moment you wake up, this is a thing that you're you're doing because I'm often emailing you to ask when something will be done because I'm writing something about someone who pitched the previous night. So so describe how this happens. Well, 
basically, once I have the data into my database, I do a, a couple quick things to make it easier for me to work with slash better. So I, I use some of Alan Nathan's stuff to take drag out of the movement of the ball and get a little better idea of spin and put I plot it then with gravity added back in over a longer period of time, a longer flight. So it's easier to see the movement in the pitch. And then I look at it with that right alongside a view of how fast the pitch was against the axis it was spinning around. Mm. So it's basically the movement left and right and the speed and spin axis are the two views that I have in front of me, which you saw, um, I think. Yeah. Either half or both sides. I think you saw both sides of that mm -hmm. in the Sabre seminar for a few guys. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have a spreadsheet and a, that's got a lot of macros and stuff behind it. And I have uh, what's, I guess, sold as a gaming keyboard that is custom mapped to, you know, run macros, tag pitches, things like that. Mm -hmm. So sorting and, and grouping and bundling the stuff happens with keystrokes. And so it goes kind of fast for me because I've been doing it a lot and I built a system to make it go fast. So as I do it, those colors that you saw in the Sabre seminar, they, they start appearing. So I'm getting immediate feedback on the accuracy of my tags, uh -huh. both the movement and the speed. So that's pretty much all I need to know if it's good. And then Dan Rosenson checks everything uh -huh. excessively and tells me to fix things that are not right. So in a typical night where there's a full schedule, how many pitches are thrown approximately? Yeah. 4,500, say. Mm. And that takes you how long, roughly, to classify everything? I don't know, probably a couple hours. I don't know. I, I usually don't do it all at once. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say. But yeah, a couple hours. So when I see those plots, it looks like they're, for most guys, they're pretty pretty clearly identifiable blobs of, yeah. of pitches of one type, but then there are always the borderline pitches that kind of overlap and those are the ones that I am curious about. How do you differentiate the ones that are right on top of each other, but it's a different type? As best I can is the first answer. The second is by awareness of um, arm slot and arm path and idiosyncrasies of pitch FX and how spin and, and movement can be revealing in confusing ways. Like I'm able to pick out 92 mile an hour Darvish splitters that that those have got to be sinkers, but no, you go look at the video. He actually the catcher actually called for splitter. You can see the grip he threw a splitter. So, but because I recognize that because of the movement was a little different and the spin was a little different, the rate was different due to an artifact in pitch FX, I think. But uh, that, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, <laughs> I probably can't explain. It's a bit of a savant problem, I think. I, I can I can tag pitches, but I really don't know how to describe it. But yeah, I, I try to figure out where the arm slot, arm path would be. I, I will break things down to different arm, you know, different kind of group the arm slots. Like if I think the guy's inconsistent with his release point, I'll put I'll separate out pitches by release point in my visual, and and try to get it that way so like ubaldo jimenez you have to do that bronson arroyo is actually i think needs to be reviewed again because i don't think he's throwing two different fastballs <laughs> I, I was gonna i was gonna ask bronson arroyo is like the he's like the kobayashi maru of 
of well, the best day ever. Right? He's like, I only throw a curveball. I do not throw any sliders. And then I was like, it's just all arm angle. And I was like, yay. <laughs> so everything on that side is a curveball now. It's made my life a lot easier. Huh. The guys like Freddie Garcia are pink spot. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys. Actually, a lot of guys on this list that we were looking at. You know, Burley can be tricky. Wood, Arroyo. Jaime Garcia's fastball is a strange pitch. It's almost really a cutter. You know, see, Heron, Heron's difficult. He just changed his splitter. Read more about that on Friday in the Washington Post baseball analytics blog I'll be writing. And, yeah, a lot of these guys, it's funny, all these guys who throw slow are the guys who tend to be blobs more likely than not with their pitches because they they rely on changing speed, changing angles, taking a little bit of movement on or off, speed on or off. So, yeah, it's kind of funny that we had this graph you're talking about those guys. So okay. two qu- two questions. One, how often do you have to go to video? Rarely. And when, um, maybe a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, good. I was worried Dan about does it more. Dan will do it when he doesn't trust something, but he often confirms what I found. Video is really helpful for guys who throw splitters and cutters. Because it's those guys, some guys who their splits like Samarja, their split will move like a cutter or a slider. So sometimes, it's, sometimes for those guys, you have to look at video. Sometimes there's no point in looking at video, also because it may not be a pitch that will be signed differently. Uh-huh. So, um, but yeah, Dan Rosenson likes to do that. He'll check out video and and confirm stuff. He likes to keep track of what types of signs guys use. So if we do have a discrepancy, we you know do video research and check it out. So uh, you mentioned Arroyo where they're all curveballs, but, you know, they do different things. They're essentially different pitches, um, even if they all fall into the same, you know, two-letter abbreviation. And then you have sort of other instances where, um, you know, like the, a slider and a curveball, a pitcher slider and curveball, or maybe his slider and cutter kind of exist on a spectrum and they sort of bleed into each other. Oh, yeah. And I just wonder, how how do you think that the language that we use for these pitches is too limited uh, i mean uh, well, are... well, yes and no i mean i intentionally keep a narrower band of labels because i think it's helpful and i, and I think the feedback i get from my work both from the public and from my private clients is, is support that that's that's a better way of doing it um for somebody like a royal like those look like three different curveballs they're just three different arm angles so it's really if you want to ask like well does he throw to three different curves it's like well when he drops his arm it does this i mean it, it's so what what you end up having is this battle between do we want to call it what it looks like or we want to call it what the pitcher and his catcher and his pitching coach call it mm-hmm. and the the old way oldest way of thinking was just call what it, it conventionally looks like but it becomes very confusing we really want to know what a guy calls his pitch we really, 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 really want to know what the catcher's putting down. And if we, you know, I go through a lot of lengths sometimes, like with Granky recently, trying to find out what is he really throwing because he went from cutter and slider to something kind of in between that got more, less cutterish and more sliderish over time. And it turns out, you know, it's it's slider. So it's like, okay, but when did he actually make the change? And even people in the know don't really remember or know. Like, no, he's only thrown one pit type of pitch all year. It's like, no, I can show you the data. He clearly had two different pitches in like May or June. He changed. And then by July, it was something else. You know, so the challenge is where do I draw that line? Mm-hmm. Where do I change that? Um, so you can, so you want to know what the guy says he's throwing. But sometimes you have to be a little 
less nuanced than that because it's going to be confusing because guys use strange names for their pitches or they don't call it something that's really accurate, you know, and, and useful. So what we're trying to, you know, compile is secondary tags, which aren't so much tags, but descriptors that may clarify a grip or what type of cutter it is. So for like Ted Lilly, he was like, this is a, this is my cutter. I mean, I remember when he was with the Cubs, he'd have a game in the post game. He'd be like, my cutter was really good today. And his catcher would be like, his slider was really good today. <laughs> They're talking about the same pitch and they call it different things. And there's, I've, I've run into that with a, um, the Reds. There was a guy, his, they, he was calling the guys change up a splitter and it certainly wasn't a splitter. Just the catcher just called it that way because it acted like a splitter. So you have to figure out what the best is and Usually there's no satisfactory answer to what everybody, you know, one's, one's a guy's fastball labeled a cutter. Like, is it all the way over to Mariano Rivera land? What about Rafael Soriano? He says, that's not a cutter. It's a fastball. It just cuts sometimes. So I left it fastball. But a lot of other guys, it's it's the same type of thing where you get some information on the guy. It's like, no, it's just forcing fastball, but it naturally cuts. It's like, well, then we should, if it naturally cuts a lot, we should call it a cutter. Um, so you'll see things change. I think I just a couple months ago finally did Colmenter that way. Uh, David Robertson was last year where he finally made his a cutter. Um, Kenley Jansen is a guy who they say, not just a regular forcing fastball. It's like, no, that's, that's a cutter. We're going to keep that a cutter. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's how do you decide? I don't know. You kind of pick your battles and try to please as many audiences. But the secondary tags, you may be able to give that mix of both. Uh, this is a cutter that's like a... Roy Halladay cutter or Mariano Rivera cutter, you know, because some guys cutters look just like a normal four seam fastball. So. so does, I guess, does your brain then in a way kind of work like the, the automated system in that the more, the more pitches you, you feed it from a certain pitcher, the better you're able to classify those pitches or. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I try to watch, I mean, when you say I, how often you go to the video, well, I mean, just check something like twice a twice a week maybe but how often do i watch pitchers pitch you know like a lot you know i watch a lot of baseball and you know i talk about baseball a lot and and it's it's you know you start to understand what the differences between the pitches are and when you have to look for these kind of crazy nuances but it's really hard i mean some guys it's really ambiguous what they're throwing and you can go back and forth and back and forth on what they're really throwing and you know i've even asked pitchers themselves and i think they've lied so it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's what do you, you know, at some point you just kind of have to say, this is what we're calling it. It's a consistent label and we know what it is. And if it's something that's really wrong or misleading, somebody always pops up and says, that's not what the right thing to call that pitch. Uh-huh. The, the, the usual feedback that comes, it's like, oh, I understand why you're calling it that. That's yeah. A cutter or a slider. Uh, yeah. He calls it a cutter, like Bumgarner. What is it? Zito. What is it? Uh-huh. So, so it's, you can call them either one. So that was going to be my next question because I feel like I've seen you tweeting with I don't know, maybe Brandon McCarthy or other people. What what are some some instances when you've had a question and just gone directly to a pitcher, either yourself via Twitter or via a beat writer or someone who asked a question Not for you? All the time. I mean, just tonight, just a few hours ago, I asked uh, one of my colleagues at the Washington Post about Dan Heron. So uh, th- I probably do that, you know, more than I look at video for clarifying things. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, that that's not unusual at all. McCarthy is somebody direct. Trevor Bauer has answered questions. Uh-huh. There's a few teams that I've managed to get either through beat writers or through just people who 
work there. No, can talk to the pitching coach for me. You know, then of course there's, you know, the clients who I know I've got good information from them. Sometimes real good insight on what different pitches a guy throws that may seem surprising. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's that, <laughs> but really for the most part, it's, we look at things, try to figure it out. Sometimes just ask other people, but you know, it, it, going to beat writers is a really good weapon because they, they can get straight to the source and, you know, find out things. And, uh, they're very helpful. There's some really good people who are like almost anxious to help, mm-hmm. help me do that, which is really, really, I, I, I can't tell you how grateful I am to people like that. So, yeah. So how, how feasible is it to scout pitchers through pitch FX? I, when a, I mean, when a guy comes up and you look at data from one start or something and you can say that his, you know, one pitch type of his looks like a pitch that some other pitcher throws and it's been effective or not effective. We, we've talked on the, on the show before about teams that have kind of abandoned uh, in-person advanced scouting and have gone to pitch effects and video. Mm-hmm. How, so how, how effective can you be at, at scouting a pitcher or evaluating how effective he will be purely by looking at his pitch FX data, do you think? Well, I think it's two separate things is one, the advanced scouting one and the more the uh, right. evaluation scouting. So the advanced scouting I think is, fantastic for like pulling sequencing and, and things like that out i mean it just you, you don't you can definitely reduce costs mm-hmm. um i i don't know why teams don't do it in the minor leagues with this stuff to be honest and when guys get called up you should be able you can get you can know what he can do look by looking at his minor league data mm-hmm. so so i think for advanced scouting I, I i said this i think in my first pitch fx summit talk in 2008 and it was it was on one of my slides. I'm like, you will save money with advanced scouting with pitch FX. Mm-hmm. And the baseball operations side of the room, people like Keith Wolner and a group of people were there. They kind of had this like blank expression on their face. <laughs> so then a couple of years later, I was like, see, they're doing it. Um, so on the player evaluation side, yeah, I mean, I can tell you a lot from one. It's hard from one start unless I'm familiar with the park. So if you give me like, if you don't tell me what the ballpark is. Or someplace that I'm not familiar with the, the you know the idiosyncrasies of that particular pitch FX installation at that point in time, it's harder to do. But otherwise, I can definitely scout off of a off of pitch FX data. Mm-hmm. Now there's things missing from that, but what I can get, I've, the feedback I have received from scouts is very positive about it. It's like that's pretty much yes, you saved someone an airplane trip, mm-hmm. except. You don't know their deception, their slot, their their extension. You know, you, you don't know some of those things. You know, how they, what's their poise? How they? This is a whole array of things that you can't do with pitch effects. But to me, it's it's the it can actually give you ability to cast a pretty wide net at a very low cost. So if you have data on what amateurs, minor leaguers, or major leaguers, and you're looking for guys with good stuff. You can find that out pretty quickly with this. Mm-hmm. The trick is getting to deception and effectiveness and command and pitchability. But there are, I think, ways of doing that, combining all the different types of rich data that we have and scouting knowledge into building kind of ways to model those things. So mm-hmm. that's what I like to do. That's fun stuff. But it's really kind of pushing into new territory. So. Mm-hmm. That's where I think pitch FX is going now. I think it plays a very critical role. I think it will play a critical role in talent evaluation and player development. It's just shaping that 
into actual practice is going to be both technically challenging and culturally challenging. Uh, and one question that I get a lot, and I don't know if you know the answer offhand, but what are the what are the pitch effects systems that tend to be hot or cold? Uh, oh, um, it's funny. It's like I don't really catch too much of like in my even though I'm looking at everything all every day, I'm going by park. Hmm. So <laughs> it's like I'm taking all the guys in that park that day, and so I don't. Kansas City usually runs high. I think uh -huh. L.A. I think I think uh, U.S. Cellular runs hot. Uh -huh. um, the cold ones are oh, I don't know. That, that's hard to say. But those are the ones that generally pretty. Up. But things are pretty in it, much in a narrow band. I mean, it's pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are hot are maybe one or two miles an hour at most. I mean, it, it's not it's not a huge thing anymore. Movement's a different story. I mean, the, I, how much the differences in the movement of clusters and pitches varies from park to park, but where the whole general shifting, both in two and three dimensions, which I won't even try and explain, uh, is, is, is different from park to park. And so you have to kind of adapt to that as well. Mm -hmm. So like places like Minute Maid and uh, Tropicana are both shifted over in one direction, a very similar degree. And I always think it's, I have like conspiracy theories because that's where, you know, two former, you know, <laughs> baseball, you know, perspectives or hardball times writers who moved into that field who are physicists, mm -hmm. know everything about pitch FX and they happen to work for the clubs that have parks with, with misaligned systems. I'm like, hmm. I guess that was going to be my last question is that it seems like most of the sort of first generation of PitchFX pioneers are now working for teams somewhere. It seems like you are you are one of the only members of that group who is still out telling us things instead of behind the behind the wall doing it for a team, which is wonderful for us. Um, is have there I don't know has that has that been your your desire to kind of stay in the public and provide a resource and and write and share this information or is it something that's just sort of happened this way uh it's the former uh -huh. I, i've never pursued anything other than doing business and consulting and providing data uh-huh so i mean i i just i work for a few teams mm -hmm. which is the way i like to look at it um but yeah i mean my my thing is definitely having that independence and public interaction that that's a big big thing for me that that's part of what i enjoy about this and why i got into it so it's never been my intention to work for a team so if they you know projects and stuff like that great sure but i've never uh i didn't i didn't set out into this to go work for a club i actually was Maybe, you know, earlier on, I was like, definitely don't want to have like work for the man. You know, I don't feel like that anymore, <laughs> but I definitely enjoy the independence that this the type of work that I do and the type of relationships I have gives me. That said, if a team gave me a good, good offer and just like showed up with it, I would, you know, I would, I would listen. Uh -huh. But, you know, that, that's, I, I, that's not, you know, that's not on my playbook, right? Well, we're we're all happy that you feel that way. I think because we we benefit from from all of the information that you have distributed. Uh, so so thank you for your your tireless efforts every day at tagging 
blobs of pitches and spreadsheets. I'm glad people enjoy it. it it's fun. So. All right. Uh, so you can check out Harry's pitch effects classifications at brooksbaseball.net and also at Baseball Prospectus. You can follow him on Twitter at Harry Pav uh, and read about him occasionally at Baseball Prospectus and sometimes in the Washington Post and anywhere else. Anything else we should mention? Um, I think that's it. Okay. Uh, so we're done for the week. Uh, end of week spiel. If you want to send us emails for next week's email show, you can do so at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes if you listen to us there. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash effectively wild. Uh, and we hope that you have a wonderful weekend and we will be back on Monday.